so the scripture today uh, comes at the beginning of the second half of Mark. It's kind of like the fulcrum that the whole gospel uh, sits on uh, with these questions. And what I noticed uh, in the, uh, when I first read it was these three words, on the way. Uh, and I also noticed a lot of rebuking happening. Uh, and so with those two things, you know, going on a journey and being rebuked, I, of course, had to go to my childhood. Uh, and like many of you, you may have had a, a parent or someone when you went on a trip or was headed somewhere fun, would, uh, if you started to act wrong, would turn around and say, uh, if you don't cut it out, I'm going to turn this car right around. You ever hear that? Yes. David, I don't know how y'all do it here in New York, but maybe turn the cart around or something. <laughs> but, uh, so we, we, we got hip to that pretty quick, you know, because usually we were going somewhere we wanted to go. It was fun. You know, it was going to be a drive-through or a movie or something. And so we said, all right, so we gotta, we'll, we'll behave on the way. But on the way back, <laughs> there's, you know, the, what, you know, what's she going to do? <laughs> well, uh, I, as I'll say, like the disciples, we didn't understand my mother. Uh, so she, she figured that out pretty quick, too, and just dropped us off. Uh, the moment we got uh, about a mile and a half away from home. Uh, and so I guess the, the, first, the first point of this uh, scripture is that discipleship happens on the way. You get rebuked and learn on the way. If we were fighting beforehand, by the time we got dropped off, we were, we were definitely on the same side, me and my brothers, because we had to figure out how to get home. The first time we, we waited about 30 minutes saying, she's going to come back for us. But we were just like those disciples, confused, <laughs> misunderstanding. Uh, yes, but we made it home, always. Love you, Mom. <laughs> uh, so that is the first, the first point of this scripture, is that discipleship happens on the way. This is the first of three different, uh, what Ched Myers calls, uh, cycles. Uh, cycles of announcement and misunderstanding. Jesus announcing who Jesus is, and the disciples not understanding it at all. And it goes from uh, chapter 8 today, then it goes to chapter 9, then it goes to chapter 10, uh, Jesus having to do this over and over again. But let's start with this question. As I said, the, the, the questions that, the fulcrum, that are the fulcrum of this gospel message of Mark. Uh, the first question is, who do people say that I am? Now, this is not a rhetorical question. This is not a throwaway question saying, all right, let's get all this junk out, whether everyone's talking about me, everyone's saying these different things, you know, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, it is actually uh, important to understand what the context is uh, of the world, to read the world as a text. And in fact, the answers are very relevant. Uh, we take for granted knowing Jesus' story, who Jesus is and symbolizes today, but back then you could not have understood Jesus without understanding John the Baptist and Elijah and the other prophets and the Hebrew culture and, uh, that Jesus comes out of. Uh, and so the answers are relevant. And I think relevant for today. So uh, who do people say Jesus is today? I'll let you think of your own experiences, uh, your own billboards you've seen, uh, messages you get through songs. I picked a few to highlight, um, the first being in popular Christian culture, we often see Jesus as the lover. Jesus as that special friend, that boyfriend, girlfriend, sweetheart, uh, partner, 
Uh, I don't know if you have any friends that say, I'm going to go home and snuggle with Jesus tonight. Uh, I got some weird friends, maybe. Uh, but it's in, the, it's in the music, too. There's a popular song out there. I think it's popular. I wouldn't know, I guess. Uh, but it says, uh, uh, your love is extravagant. I feel like moving to the rhythm of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating in our secret place. They're talking about Jesus. Right there. It makes you blush a little bit, thinking about Jesus like that. Um, so that's one way we often find that uh, Jesus in popular culture is a, is a special lover. The other one we find is a white superhero of capitalism uh, who rides around in a sleigh with reindeer, blessing the good people with gifts and uh, cursing the bad people of poverty, sickness and trials. Uh, often Jesus gets mixed up into uh, mixed metaphors. Uh, we see him in Neo from The Matrix, uh, who is the one who is, uh, comes and saves the world and kicks everyone's butt, uh, and that's the Messiah. That's who we see Jesus as today. We might see Jesus as the way, the truth, and the light. Only those who say the right words about Jesus are getting into heaven. Uh, that's not exactly what John 3.16 says, but that's usually what it means when people quote it at you. I can remember in, uh, uh, having to do a school report with those uh, encyclopedias. We had you know, the physical encyclopedias. Um, and on Vietnam was my country, and I noticed that Vietnam was, um, I can't remember, this may have been high school or middle school, 90% uh, Buddhist. And I said, well, this, this, this God and this Jesus that I've been learning about, is, is, are they really going to send 90% of Vietnamese people to hell and send 70-something percent of uh, people in the U.S. to heaven? Uh, that didn't make much sense to me then. It still doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, a little closer to home, we see Jesus as a silly obsession of people who aren't smart enough or brave enough to come up with their own explanations about how the world works or why there's suffering and pain. Our Marxist friends will say Jesus is the opiate of the people, the hope dope that keeps people in their place thinking only of the great by and by, worried about avoiding hell while ignoring the hell people are going through right here on earth. Or Jesus might have some good moral lessons that are on point, but his name has been used far more for destruction and bad than good in the world, so it's better we leave him to the masses. So yes, Jesus wanted his disciples, just as he wants us to consider, who do people say that I am? He knew what we know now, that messages about who Jesus is will have an impact on us, regardless of our faith tradition, regardless of where we are. If you live in U.S. culture, the, the messages about who Jesus is will seep down to you. So it's important to identify them, even if this was not an exhaustive list, uh, and talk about them. And uh, as we'll find out later, they're not necessarily all false either. Um, but Peter steps forward in that moment and, and gives an answer. Who is Jesus to me? That's really what Jesus is after anyway. This is pretext to Jesus' questions. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And we, we might think that Peter's going to get congratulated. Finally, the disciples have gotten something right. Uh, they've spent most of the Gospels getting it all wrong. And so it's a little dis disappointing when uh, Jesus sternly orders 
uh, him, them to not tell anyone about this news that they've figured out. And in fact, sternly orders is just the same word, literally, uh, for rebuke. So Jesus rebukes them for saying the right thing, which we think Jesus is Messiah, right? Uh, Jorge read a, a different translation that says Jesus is Christ. It's the same Christ in Greek, Messiah in Hebrew, the anointed one. Uh, so it's hard to understand that rebuke without the next one that's coming. And the next one's the doozy. Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, what he does in, in response to this Messiah is that he changes, it to, he changes his name to Son of Man. Jesus says the Son of Man will have to go through great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So we hear that Peter takes him aside, that's polite of him, and, and rebukes Jesus, uh, which doesn't go well. Because Jesus turns to the whole disciples and tells Peter, uh, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine things, not on, uh, not on divine things, but on human things. So what in the world could Peter have done so wrong to be called Satan? Uh, what, what made him so terrible? This is the rock that the church was built on, an all-star disciple. Uh, he was being polite. He was trying to get it right. Uh, I imagine Peter uh, telling Jesus, I thought we just agreed that you were the Messiah, right? You were the Christ, the anointed one. We've been doing all these miracles up through chapters 1 through 7 uh, and most of 8. Uh, things have been going well. Uh, we we're getting a following. We might make some changes. The authorities might start giving us some compromises. You know, we might get some things out of them if we really get this power. Uh, but as you can tell, Peter is operating from an uh, empire mindset because the models for messiahs then as now uh, were limited, and Jesus certainly didn't fit them. The model for what a messiah, a deified human being, could be was Caesar. Uh, the one who made uh, himself uh, a god, the savior of the world who was going to spread the peace of Rome everywhere. Uh, the peace of Rome by any means necessary. It's uh, the Pax Romana like the Pax Americana, the, the general in Vietnam says about the village, we had to destroy the village in order to save it. That's the model for salvation that we're given in the world. It's the model that we're given with Neo in The Matrix. I love The Matrix. It's a wonderful movie. Uh, but it is deep that that's still the model, 2,000 years later, of what a savior can look like for us. It has to be someone who can beat up everyone else. And that's what they were expecting. That's the, the uh, Peter's, the Jewish people, he's seen all these people being hurt, being uh, abused and, and beaten down. And now this Messiah is here. It's not strange that Peter wants a military messiah, wants someone to come and set things right. So, but this still doesn't exactly explain why, uh, why he says he calls him Satan for this. Um, and I think what it is is that uh, there's something very dangerous about saying the right thing for the wrong reason. Uh, doing the right thing for the wrong reason. Michelle Alexander gives the example of uh, legalizing marijuana, oftentimes being done for the right, uh, the right thing, but it's for the wrong reason. It's used because, oh, we can make money off of it. We can uh, get taxes from it. Uh, not that marijuana laws have been used like Rockefeller laws here in New York to uh, imprison millions of people and keep them in jail. Uh, and so that's, 
And all that does is it makes a movement feel like it's one uh, when it hasn't actually addressed what's deeper in happening. Um, and so I think that's why Jesus goes off on Peter, because that is really dangerous. This is, I mean, Jesus knows Jesus is going to die. And so these are the people who are going to spread the message, and he wants him to get it right. Uh, because he's right, it is Messiah, uh, but uh, not the one they were looking for. And I think one thing that uh, Jesus gives a, a hint about why Peter gets it wrong is that the line, setting your mind, because they tell, uh, he tells Peter, your problem is that you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. And this word, setting your mind, is hard to translate into English, uh, but it, I think it's a key to uncovering these riddles. The word is phroneo, uh, according to the concordance, uh, and it means properly to regulate from within as inner perspective, an insight that shows itself corresponding outward behavior. Another way it says that it's, it's one's opinions enfleshed in the outside. And this idea is difficult to translate into English because it combines the visceral and the cognitive aspects of thinking and living. The word comes from friend, which is the same word where we get diaphragm. So the things that give us the very life that uh, pushes breath in inside and out of us. This is, where, uh, this is what Jesus is asking for Peter. So Peter, he's saying that your, your mind is set, your very being is set on things human, on empire things, on empire theology and ideology, and not on divine justice uh, and the love that I'm trying to live out. So yes, the good news of Jesus must be taught and must be caught as well. Jesus knows Jesus wouldn't be teaching it if Jesus didn't think that it could be taught. But what we realize also that it must be caught. If God is the agape disinterested love that loves us no matter what, what we do then, uh, and is always there, Jesus is the interested love that meets us right where we are. There's actually not a singular term for good news, is there? Can't say it's good news. Uh, it's always plural. It's always happening. It's always finding us in our place and changes all the time. That's why the Bible isn't the only place we can look, because uh, only a first century text can't tell us all about 21st century. Uh, so we got to keep exegeting the world. And also, uh, you know, Peter, uh, Jesus changes to the Son of Man after being called Messiah, just to make this point. And Son of Man sounds, I was talking to Alex after worship earlier, it's, it's this lofty term, Son of Man, like it's this big deal, uh, a spiritual thing, when all that really translates to is the human one. So Jesus is responding to Peter's desire for a Caesar-like, a Neo-like Savior, and instead says that, no, I'm the human one. And if that wasn't disappointing enough, uh, that in order to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself, take up the cross, and then you can follow them. In these same chapters, it says that the first will be last, the last will be first, which is really actually impossible. Uh, it is these paradoxes. The greatest among you are the least. If you want to save your life, you must lose it first. Now, this is not the formula of faith that we hear about Jesus so often. The formula often goes, if you want to get it down to a tweet, Jesus died for our sins, and if we believe in him, then we'll be forgiven, and we can get eternal life. And that's a wrap. But that's a formula. That's not faith. It's a formula that's not faith. 
It's got echoes of the faith, but it's not the good news. Because that, like, uh, like Peter, wanted Jesus of the miracles, the ones where you can do A, B, and equal C, the one where you can get the things right, and then it's all going to be good. Jesus, uh, Peter wanted those first seven chapters of Jesus, uh, healing people, getting the magic fix. And really, we actually want that type of Jesus even on the cross. We want it to be so that we can just throw our sins and dump them all on Jesus, and then they get turned to uh, white as snow somehow. Uh, and then they get given back or not to us or they disappear. And the thing is, just like when Peter said, the Messiah, it's true, uh, but it's not, it's not everything. Because that actually, that desire is so that we can get out of what this good news asks of us. Because Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And to pick up your cross and follow Jesus means necessarily a confrontation with the powers that be, with the state. And there is nothing uh, uh, you know, beautiful and in itself about that cross. We want that cross to be what we praise, but that's like praising the electric chair. That's like worshiping uh, tools of destruction. Uh, so Jesus uses cross not lightly. Uh, it, is, it was just around this time, there's 2,000 Jewish people crucified. Uh, it was the torture uh, of choice of the Roman Empire to maintain order, especially revolutionaries. It is a reminder, the cross is not miraculous. It's a fact. It says your movement will be squashed, your efforts will be in vain, your hopes will come up empty, your plans will not work out. It will seem like the bad guys are always winning. No matter what they say, they can't, their poll numbers still don't drop, even they say the wildest stuff. And they still have power over people we love. But it also says that good news requires a confrontation with the powers of the world. And so this formula of faith that we want is, uh, the problem with it is that it's not just wrong, but it's the wrong reason. It wants a savior for ourselves that doesn't require that confrontation. But there is a tragic beauty of the unglorified cross. The one thing that that formula also leaves out is the resurrection which you can't understand the cross without the resurrection and uh, vice versa. That in that cross, you can see victory on the other side. That there is a thing, a beautiful struggle. There is a deeper peace on the other end of hardship. And that's why I'm not ready to give up uh, uh, prayers and thoughts, uh, thoughts and prayers. Uh, mainly, well not mainly, but I don't have much of a career future uh, without them. And so, uh, well, job security. Uh, but also that it's not the, prayer, the thoughts and prayers that are the problem, but it's that people thinking that it's, the, it's, it's their thoughts and their prayers, like their little missiles they're sending up, uh, that are going to save them. Instead, that you're praying to something more powerful than you, that that's what's going to change things. It's not our, 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 pie, uh, our personal uh, strength. Um, yeah, it's also, so there is this unglorified cross, and it's not necessarily, I'm not trying to say that we have to, you know, that suffering is necessary, that suffering is noble, we don't need sadomasochism. Uh, you know, the, 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 the story is, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know that one? They misquoted the guy. It's actually, what doesn't kill you can F you up real bad. <laughs> so there's things that can really mess you up. But that's not it. But this is the reality. But on the other side of this, of this pain and suffering is a love. 
actually even the word for suffering in, in, in the scripture is, not, is a neutral word. It's not negative or positive. In the context, it's negative, but it means a deep feeling of humanity, that the human one, that Jesus leads us to our deepest humanity, that we can live into it, that we don't run from the problems of the world, but we, uh, we accept the responsibility of being a part of it uh, and being responsible to it. On the other side, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Those who have experienced falling in love, who have a love of a friend, a love of a family, love of a community, knows this type of peace. That love, it doesn't give you butterflies, the love we're talking about, but it settles you. Uh, it's what allows Paul to say later in the Bible, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? That we have the power already that actually if we're willing to die for something, we can't lose. As twisted up that might sound. Uh, that once you, that as Dr. King has said, that if you aren't willing to die for something, you might not be willing to live for anything. And so that's what we're called to, this deeper hope. Yes, the Messiah. Yes, all these things. Yes, all these ways that Jesus is our friend. That Jesus is our brother. Jesus is uh, the priest that leads us along the way. Uh, but also it calls us to something deeper. And none of those names mean anything if we're not willing to answer that call. Amen.